0: Welcome to the podcast, The Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, uh, in our Rhythms of Grace series this morning, our topic is scripture. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home, loving home, but my mother, bless her heart, sent me along to Sunday school. And when I was in Sunday school, they taught me a chorus. And I don't know whether some of you will know it, some of you may not, but the chorus went, the best book to read is the Bible. Anybody know it? The best book to read in the Bible. If you read it every day, it will help you on your way. And then you went, Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. And there are a few other things, like that, uh, a few other verses to that that I will not tempt you with. Uh, but as I grew up and became a young man, somebody read from the Bible every week in church. It was obviously a very special book. And people referred to it as the Word of God. And I had a Bible, of course, it was an old uh, Bible in old English uh, but I didn't read it very much and even if I did, I couldn't really understand it Uh, but there it was and as I grew up a little bit further, uh, I went out to university and I did a science degree and all those questions about God and religion came to me and and what about the Bible and science and what about the Bible and history and what about the Bible and truth? Now, my father didn't help. Uh, my father was a lovely guy, but he didn't help in any way with regard to religious questions. And I remember his telling me that what the Bible was, particularly the Old Testament, was there were a lot of shepherds and goat herders and that sitting around out in the the desert, out in the mountains and that, and be cold at night and they'd sit around the fire and they'd swap a few yarns around and somebody finally wrote them all down. And that's what you've got in the Bible. And, well, that wasn't all that helpful to me. And then my minister didn't help. And I remember talking to him one day and he said, oh, well, the Gospels, you know, there's four Gospels. It's like somebody sees a car accident and and the policemen come up and they take four reports and this guy says one thing and this girl says something else. And so you've got these different reports about the same thing and there's a commonality to them, but all the details are different. And that was really not hugely encouraging to me either as I'm going through this struggle. And finally... One day we had a guest preacher, he used to come occasionally, but but on this particular day he was speaking from uh, Genesis and he was talking about Joseph and you'll remember Joseph, the guy with the coat of many (coughs) colours, who fell out with his brothers and his brothers beat him up and they threw him down a well and then they pulled him out and then they sold him to Ishmaelite traders as a slave and they went and on sold him into Egypt and now I've got to remember I'm probably sitting up the back of the church I'm about 22 years old I'm dozing away probably looking across the the side of the church to see what the hot chicks were and there's one of them there And, uh, (laughs) and I wasn't particularly engaged and he read to me or to us this verse out of Genesis 39 verse 1 and it says this now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And he spoke of Potiphar and he talked about the fact he was the captain of the guard and it added the words an Egyptian. And he posed the question to us, why does it add in an Egyptian? Wouldn't you expect that the captain of the guard in Egypt, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard, and Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, you would expect him to be an Egyptian. If he was an Etruscan or a Libyan or a Hittite, yeah, you might expect a little add-on, but why Egyptian when he's actually in Egypt serving the Egyptians? Now, the answer that he gave was that at those times, the time that Joseph was most probably there, The rulers of Egypt were not Egyptians. They were another group of people, a group of people rather similar to to Joseph, actually. They were called the Hyksos. And therefore, for non-Egyptian pharaohs to have an Egyptian uh, captain of the guard, that was probably significant. And I'm sitting there in the back of the church and I suddenly start to sit bolt upright. I forget about Helen across the other side of the church... And I'm so, I remember saying to myself, do you mean, are you telling me that this stuff could actually be true? And what's more than true, demonstrably true, verifiably true, that I could actually check it out and, and, and get the background to it. And that led me on a nine-month journey, and at the end of that journey, I knelt down and confessed Jesus Christ is Lord. <coughs> So I want to say to you, where do you stand in this sort of thing? Do you read the Bible every day and so it helps you on your way? Or are you like I was with a bit of a smattering of the Bible? I honoured it, but I didn't know it and I didn't particularly read it. Or are you perhaps like a friend of Helen's who said to her one day that she's a church-going woman? that she doesn't read the Bible. In fact, she said, I have a great aversion to the Bible. So where might you stand along that sort of spectrum? Well, what is the Bible anyway? Just very briefly, because you will probably know the Bible really is a library. Bible just means books. It comes from the Latin, Biblia, books. And there's two bits of the Bible. There is a first bit, uh, mainly written in Hebrew, uh, pretty much all in Hebrew called the old testament and that's it that is a hebrew bible and uh, there is a new bit second part the new testament now that's written in common ordinary garden gnome greek not modern greek not classical greek just the greek that the average punter spoke around the marketplaces and the bazaars and all the places like that now we don't read our bibles normally in greek and hebrew we just have a regulation translation. And that's my ancient tran- my translation. It's actually falling to bits now. Uh, but um, that's the one I use, and that's the, that are called the New International Version. But there are many other good versions, so I wouldn't want to impose mine on, on yours. But then you come to the question, why do we honour the Bible? Why do we call it the Word of God rather than the goat herders' tails or the shepherd's yarns or something like that. Why, why is this honour? Why do we give it the authority in the church that we, want, we do? Well, the very simple reason is we honour the Bible in the Christian church all the way through uh, and all the denominations because Jesus honoured the Bible and Jesus treated as the word of God. <clears throat> and if you are a Christian, you want to follow Jesus in whatever he said and his attitude and all the rest of it. <clears throat> now, I can show you this by a wonderful illustration. Uh, and you will remember at the very start of Jesus' ministry, uh, just before he was kicking off, <clears throat> he went out into the desert and he prepared for the start of his ministry by fasting and praying. <clears throat> and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he obviously got very, very hungry. And when the hunger was intense, the evil one came. Satan came and tempted him. Now, Satan wasn't tempting Jesus to go into sex, drugs and rock and roll. The essence of Satan's temptation was to move him away from his heavenly calling to stop him going down the costly, humiliating, sacrificial way of the cross and to take shortcuts, to take shortcuts to power and to take shortcuts to glory. (laughs) And Jesus gets three temptations. The evil one comes three times. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. (laughs) And another temptation, he took him up into a high place. And he said, I will give you all authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And then he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus doesn't succumb. You see, he sees through the shallow promises, the glittering glimpses of power, the gilded wrapping of these wicked temptations. And in each occasion, he comes back and he quotes scripture and this is what he says to the first one. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. To the second, he said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. To the third, he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, when I was younger and I read this story for the first stories for the first time, I actually thought that what Jesus was doing was quoting scripture at the devil. In other words, the devil's come, he's tempted him, and Jesus gets out a scriptural ray gun and sort of drills him like this. But I don't think that's what's happening at all. When you read it more closely, you see that it's not so much that Jesus is quoting scripture at the devil. He is quoting scripture at himself. He is bringing himself under the authority of the word of God. And here you've got this marvelous illustration of the divine son of God, bringing himself under the wisdom and the authority of the word of God. And that is, what, that is the consistent way in which Jesus treats the Bible, the consistent way he treats uh, the Old Testament. And you can see in the way that Jesus uh, deals with temptation is the way we also can use Scripture to deal with temptation. Just to give you could give many illustrations here. But you would imagine at work, and you go off to the office, you go off to business or wherever you are, And there is some person in there that is just an absolute pain in the neck. You just cannot stand them because they are just so negative, they're so destructive, they're so gossipy, they're so bitchy. And and everything about them raises the hackles up in you because they're just so counterproductive to the workplace. And you get the opportunity one day to get a bit of payback, to show them up to shame them, to bring them down. You just want to get the knife and stick it in and then twist it round. (laughs) And as you're having those delicious thoughts, and they are delicious thoughts, the scripture comes to you because you've been reading the Bible and the scripture says to you from the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and do good to those who despitefully use you and your wounded heart softens and you determine to repay malice with kindness. That's how the scripture works on us and stops us going down those sort of ways. Well, I've mentioned the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. What about, what about the New Testament? Well, my point to you here is that Jesus, he endorses the Old Testament. He says, yes, that Old Testament is the Word of God. But what he does is he commissions the New Testament. Because the New Testament is essentially, and we could talk about this for hours, but it's essentially the, the, the material about Jesus from the horse's mouth. It's from the, apost- the apostles or the apostolic circles. It's from the Peters and the James and the Johns, and then those who are very, very close to them. Let me give you an illustration, and we could give you an illustration amongst many. Um, I'm going to quote to you from the Apostle John because he wrote a a gospel called John, but he also wrote three letters called called John. And from the first letter of John, get a feel for his apostolic understanding of Jesus. This is from 1 John 1.1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on... uh, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. Do you see you get it? You see that sort of eyewitness testimony? We gazed upon him. We heard him. We saw him. We put our hands there on him. It's that sort of thing. This is no shepherd turning it down to the goat herder, downing down to the publican, turning it down to the next guy in the street. This is the bloke who was there with him, showing him to you. And so with the Apostle Paul, listen to what St. Peter talks about the Apostle Paul. His letters, says Peter, contain some things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable distort as they do the other scriptures. Notice that. They distort Paul's writing like they do, not they do the scriptures, as they do the other scriptures. As far as Peter is concerned, (coughs) Paul is writing scripture. And you might say, well, what about Mark and Luke? They they weren't apostles. Well, that is right. Uh, Mark, but the point with with Mark is he was the letter writer of Peter. So when you're reading Mark's gospel, (coughs) what you're essentially getting is Mark's writing down of Peter's sermons. That's essentially what you're getting. And Luke, he was the travelling companion of St Paul. He wrote Luke's Gospel, he also wrote, wrote Acts. He was herring round the Mediterranean with St Paul as Paul was setting up these churches. And when he set out to write his Gospel, he was very keen to write what he calls a true and accurate account so that his reader might know the truth so, what I'm saying to you is that the essential message of this, and we could talk about this for hours, is that Jesus endorses the Old Testament and he commissions the New Testament. But the point is, he commissions us and blesses us in it. Right? This is the key point that I want to make to you a, a little bit that, that God will bless you by reading the Bible. Well, how does he do it? Well, there's a number of ways, and we've already seen the way in which we can take temptation away. But the second way is that the Scriptures lead you to Jesus. They make you wise unto salvation. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters to his young protege, Timothy, and he wrote these words in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says, How from infancy you, Timothy, have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Wise for salvation. You see, that's what the Scriptures did for me. I heard that strange verse, Genesis 39 verse 1. Now, I'm not saying that you will hear Genesis 39 verse 1 and suddenly have an aha experience like I did, but God will speak to you in different ways from different verses. But that led me and Helen, because we were we were. There, <laughs> Journeying together, her in her way, my and my, it led us to kneel down at the feet of the Lord Jesus. You see, about a year before, while we were courting, I can very well remember (coughs) uh, being out on a date with her and we were chatting after as we were coming home. And we knew that in the church (coughs) there were people that sort of seemed switched on to God, (coughs) and there were this group of people, and there were the others that seemed to be going through the motions. And we knew, instinctively we knew, that we were in this group. We are in the going through the motions group. We weren't in the group that was alive to God. But it was reading the scriptures and the Holy Spirit working through the scriptures in our life that made us move from that group quite decisively into that group. Without Without the Bible, we did not have a clue. After... Jesus had those temptations that we spoke about. He went into the synagogue at Nazareth and he stood up uh, and he read from the prophet Isaiah and when he'd finished reading, he spoke these words. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the purpose of the scriptures is to point you to Jesus. It's to point you to his life His birth, his ministry, his death, his teaching, his exaltation, his resurrection, his glorification. That's what it's all about, to take you to Jesus. And in a world where today you're getting so many different voices, you will not get people from the world teaching you to go to Jesus. This is where you get it. And they'll make you wise under salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but the scripture will also equip you for life and ministry. It's not just that you'll get saved, if I can use that word. You know, you'll get assistance as you journey down the road of life. And uh, uh, Paul goes on, in the very next verse, he goes on to Timothy. All scripture is god breathes. It's a lovely word. It's literally that, god breathes. It's like... Whew, God breathing out scripture. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in the darkest days of World War II, when Britain was absolutely down its knees, I think it was about March in 1941, they were by themselves fighting the Nazis, <coughs> Franklin, uh, President uh Prime Minister Winston Churchill wrote a letter, and many letters, to Franklin Roosevelt, who was the President of the United States. And in this he said, We shall not fail or falter. We shall not weaken or tire. Neither the sudden shock of battle nor the long-drawn trials of vigilance and exertion will wear us down. And his famous phrase, Give us the tools and we will finish the job. Well, friends... In the scriptures, God has given you the tools to finish the job and live your life. And I heard an absolutely brilliant illustration of that uh, last Thursday. <clears throat> I had to fly down to Sydney last Thursday to meet with a small group of clergy, Anglican clergy, and we met in a uh, in a restaurant uh, by Botany Bay. Uh, and... Uh, We were sitting there and we were talking about a particular thing, but before we got onto that issue, we started to chat about the Queen's funeral and from a gospel perspective, how great it was as a testament to the Christian faith. Now, of course, uh, the the service itself was from the traditional Anglican prayer book, but the Bible readings and the hymns were all chosen personally by the Queen herself. And he said, you know, said one guy to us, he said, did you know that the Queen read her Bible and prayed every day? And I followed this up and I said, how do you know that? And the explanation that he gave was that that her chaplain, one of her chaplains, you would have had many chaplains over the years, but one of her chaplains is the very, very celebrated Bible teacher John Stott, He's dead now, but in the 20th century, he was one of the biggest names in the world as a Bible preacher, a Bible teacher, and a Bible expositor. And uh, Stott had been at a clergy conference some years ago, and privately, to a group of the guys afterwards, he shared that piece of information. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that when the Queen died, there was this absolutely outpouring of emotion from both monarchists and republicans to this person whose life had just exemplified Christian service who'd kept on and on and on in the job for 70 years and two days before she died she was still on the job where does that perseverance where does that energy come from where does that stickability and honourableness come from well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work it out, do you? She prayed and she read the Bible every single day. And before we finished the congregation, one guy said to us, well, he said, if she can pray and read the Bible every day, doesn't give us much of an excuse to say we're too busy, does it? And we thought, no, that was a humbling moment. So the next way in which you see, God nourishes you, When you read the Bible, you actually get get spiritual nourishment. At the very start of the Psalms, in Psalm 1, in verses that sort of frame the whole Psalm, they give you the the go-ahead for where the rest of the Psalms are going to go. It says this. It talks about the blessed person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which shields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, (coughs) prosper. You see, the inner you, when you're reading the scripture on a a daily basis, the inner you is being formed and transformed. Your soul and your character are being shaped. You're getting a dosage of spiritual vitamin. You're not consuming junk food. You're getting a sumptuous feast. And your life is quickened (coughs) and your relationships flourish. Now, sometimes people say, well... What's the good of doing that? Because I can't remember what I read last week. Certainly can't remember what I read last month, what I read last year. But I also want to say to you, you don't remember what you ate last week most of the time. I don't remember what I ate last month. I don't remember what I ate last year. But on that day and for the, day, the next days, I needed that meal. I needed to be maintained and nourished Uh, and not put on a starvation diet. You see, reading the scripture will nourish your soul. And if you don't read it, you'll be like somebody whose diet consists of pies and chips and Big Macs. You're alive, barely, but you're the candidate for a cardiac arrest. So the word of God nourishes you, but it also lights up your path. Uh, We are on the way to... Living eternal life with God, but we're here now, and we live a life where there's minefields along the way. You just don't know what the future is going to bring. You don't know whether you make this decision precisely how it's going to work um, work out. And you need you need guidance for the for the misty times ahead. And. You know what it's like when you're actually in the dark, <clears throat> when you when you're in a dark place. I mean, I'm just talking physically dark place, and, and you're stumbling around and you're not quite knowing what to do. You might go to a motel on holidays or a, or a or a unit on holidays down the coast or something, and you and you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to go to the bathroom. Well, maybe you don't have to, but old men sort of do, you know. <clears throat> and 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 you, you you go you and you're stumbling around. You see, you, you you're out of your You just, you know that normally the bathroom's over there, but you can't remember when you're sort of in this woozy state, is it there or there or there? And and we were staying um, a few months ago down in Wollongong, we were minding my daughter's house while she was swanning off to, (coughs) to Fiji. Uh, now my daughter has dogs in the house. We don't normally Helen and I, but we had she had dogs in the house, Well, that was okay. That was her house. And I remember it was in the middle of the night, about one o'clock in the morning. It was really dark. We'd had all the blinds uh, uh, pulled, and uh, and I got up as I do at about one o'clock, and I was and I was disoriented. I just didn't know quite where I was, and I realised I was in a different place. And I'm thinking that it's it's over there somewhere. <laughs> And I'm groping around like that, and lo and behold, I fall over the dog who'd come in to sleep at his mistress's feet. (laughs) Well, in life, you do not want to fall over the dog. And the scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, of course, you're going to have to pray about specific situations, but the great thing about the Bible is that it will allow you to take the long haul. When you get a biblical character about you, you know, nourished by the word of God, you will just know, you will just know that there are certain directions that you will just never go. They will look inviting, they will look good, they will look terrific, but they're full of minefields and they're full of dogs lying on the floor, (coughs) Well, Andrew has particularly asked us in this series to be uh, practical. And I want to be very practical today on just exactly what I do. Now, I've been reading the Bible, you know, ever since I... Seriously, ever since I became a Christian 50 years ago. But I didn't always read it well, and I didn't always read it systematically. And I'd always heard that the great saints of God journaled. And... I sort of didn't know what they did and I sort of was making it up as I went and it didn't really work for me. And then somebody somebody introduced me to what is called the the REAP journal or in those days it was called the SOAP. I think you can find REAP and SOAP because REAP is just uh, read, explore, apply, pray and soap is scripture, observation, application, <coughs> uh, prayer. So they're basically same same sort of thing. That is my reap journal. Uh, it's got about two hundred odd pages in it. In fact, I just filled it up this morning. It's just it's it's absolutely chock full. And the good thing about the reap journal is it's got four verses, uh, four chapters that they ask you to read every day. If you can't get through four. They've emboldened one each day. So if you're only if you if you're so desperate that you can't just do the four, they've they've got an observations for doing the one. And the idea of it is that you take the journal, that you read the four chapters, and then you make responses on that. And uh, and so what. They wanted you to do is to take the four the the four chapters and supposing for argument's sake, no to give you an example, that I'm re- Pardon me, I am reading the the chapter and today my verses are my chapters are Hebrews, not Hebrews, Hosea ten to twelve, and Psalm seventy three and Matthew seven. Now, I don't want to read all of those things in front of you because it would take too long. But suppose we go to Matthew 7, and I just read a little bit of Matthew 7 right at the end of it, just to give you an illustration of the method. And I come to these verses right at the end of Matthew 7, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says to me, Therefore, everybody who hears these words of mine, you can tell why why I've picked this particular passage, these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Now, then they ask you to take a verse. Normally just one verse, it could be a couple, Uh, but just to take one verse and to write that verse down. So you've read and then you write a verse. And so the verse that I chose for today, obviously, because we're talking about the Bible, therefore everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And then the next thing is you explore. You, you write something about of the verse that's challenged you or nourished you or um, maybe made you feel uncomfortable, even made you feel guilty. Never, never, ne- never just read. If you've got a verse in the Bible and it steps you know, it jumps out at you and it says, oh, you know, that, that's tough. You know, that, I don't want to read that one. That's preso- probably precisely the very verse you should be reading because that's where God is speaking to you. But it it could be that you've taken some verse that's challenged you, inspired you, made you feel uncomfortable, something you might want to look up later, and you just make some jottings on that verse. So this is the explore thing. So my comment, and again, a very truncated comment for today, well, it's important to hear the words of Jesus, but Jesus says I must take the further step of doing them. And then I apply... I think about what I might do today, and I wrote, today I must actively be on the lookout for ways I can put the words of Jesus into practice. Maybe I need to love my enemies. And finally, I pray. And the prayer for today was, dear Lord, by your spirit, every day guide me not to be a hearer of your word, but somebody who actually puts it into practice. Please give me opportunities today. May your word be the firm foundation of my life. Now, what I find that this has done for me is it keeps me honest. It keeps me doing it. Because, and if I miss a day, I don't get into a frenzy. They, they advise you, you know, if you miss a day, don't, don't try and run around and catch up because you'd suddenly find you were catching up seven days and you'd just go nuts and you would stop. So if ever I miss a day, well, I just move on. But if I miss two days and it's become a bit of a habit to me, then... I start to feel a little bit edgy. You know, I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like I've missed a meal and I've got to miss a second meal. If I miss three days, <clears throat> unless I'm sick or something like that, you know, there's a, there are alarm bells going off. I just, you know, I just really reasonably feel uncomfortable about that. And <clears throat> the other great thing is that often when people start to read the Bible, they start to read the Bible from Genesis, that's good, And then they get into Exodus, and they read about the crossing of the Red Sea, and that's good. And then they get into the second part of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where you've got a range of Jewish laws about the land, and it sort of gets bogged down. And people say, oh, look, you know, I just can't read it anymore, and then they stop. Well, this gives you the, the way in which to overcome that because, as you saw, I was getting some Old Testament readings, I'm getting some Psalms readings, I'm getting some New Testament readings, I'm often getting some, some Epistle reading. So if I get one of those more complicated passages uh, from the early sections of Israel's history that are just maybe not as easy for me to understand, I've only got a chapter of them. I've got the Psalms, I've got something else, I've got the Gospels, and I can come on and I can find myself just moving through it. So I would just really encourage you, that's one method, and that's the way I've done it, and you can get a REAP version online, or I, just go down to, I can go down to Coorong and get them, or I can get them from Sydney. They're not too hard to get if you really want to do them. Now, uh, that's worked well for me, and for a little while it worked well for Helen. But she's a contrarian, difficult woman. She's decided, to do, she's decided to do her own message. So, darling, could you come up and, and talk to us about what you do?
1: Well, I did do the journaling uh, like that and writing about it for quite a while. <clears throat> but then I switched to the Bible in One Year app on my phone. And I do that every day now, and I absolutely love it. Uh, it comes in three versions. Is it going up there? It comes, does anyone use that? Anyone here? It's, yeah, it's written by and produced by Nikki Gumbel, who was, used to be the vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton. Which same is, which same is,
0: stable as the marriage course, isn't it?
1: Which is where the marriage course came from and Alpha comes from. So every day um, I do it on my phone. Sometimes I read it. All the Bible readings are there for me. I don't have to go looking around. They're all there. There's commentary on them. There's prayers in there as well. You can get a classic version. That's the one I do because I'm... I, Classic, not a contrarian. Uh, I, there's a classic There's a classic version. That,
0: even in doing that, even in doing that, she shows how contrarian she is. <laughs> there's
1: the um, express version and there's a youth version also. So you can get those. If you want to listen, and I find myself now that I'm retired and I don't have to race out to work every day and I don't have a young family living with me, that I like to listen. And it's read, uh, Nikki Gumbel talks, and then the Bible readings are read beautifully by a very famous British actor called David Suchet. And it's just lovely to listen listen to that. That takes about 20 to 25 minutes. So if you do the express version, that, that would be a lot shorter. But um, having said that, you know, there are times in my life when I wouldn't have had time to do this um, physically. The phone gives you the opportunity because you can go anywhere. You know, you can be sitting on the bus and you can be listening to it. You can do it during the day. You can do it in the morning. Um, It's very flexible. I did take a lot of comfort uh, once when I was young and we had had five young children and it was very hard to get time, as you can imagine, just to sit and read the Bible. And I remember an older Christian lady saying to me, if you're just reading a Bible story to your children every day, you're doing something. So I think that's the key, to get into the habit of finding whatever works for you in the situation in which you're uh, operating. Working around the time—that's the beauty about. I mean, I know screens can be bad, but they can also be good, and this is a, one of the good usages of a screen, I think.
0: Okay, thank you. You can take that one.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. okay.
0: <coughs> yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I find that um, that if we we're, we're on holidays or we're driving somewhere. I don't do my Reap Journal, I just do, I, we just put it on in the car and we listen to it and then we talk about it, and that really works quite well. So what I guess I'm trying to encourage you with to do is to saturate yourself with the scriptures. And to give you an example, supposing you've got uh, this tea towel, and supposing I dabble in here, you see, if all I've done is dabble, I've got the bottom wet. Okay? The bottom is wet, but the rest of it, the rest of it is the values of society. That's what you are. You've got a little bit of scripture around the side, but you've got the rest of the values of society impregnated throughout your whole body. <clears throat> and in essence, the the essence of the Bible is to glorify God. The Bible will give you God's perspective and how things are related relative to God the society will tell you how things are related to you and you are the center of the universe so the bible will give you a completely different perspective on things so what we really need to be doing is to making sure that this goes right into us by this constant reading of the scripture every single day because otherwise we'll be like the frog in the water you know the you, know, you can you, you get into the you get into the water the frogs there and the frog will uh, just sit there and the water heats up and then by the time it gets too hot, you just don't jump out. And that's what the culture does to you. The culture will eat you alive unless you've got the scriptures there to give you the way to go. <clears throat> well, in the, in the Bible, there are many, many lovely, t- lovely phrases about how the scripture should be used. And one of them is this. Uh, the, the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are much more than pure gold. They are sweeter than the honey of a honey from the honeycomb. And I don't have any gold to give out to you this morning, but I do have some honeycomb. And I want, I'm hoping that you've each got one of these little crunchy Things which are actually chocolate-coated honeycomb. Now, David doesn't mention that in the psalm, but I'm sure, I'm sure that if David could have had honey, chocolate-coated honeycomb, he would have mentioned it there. But the, this, but what I'm asking you to do is when is not to eat it immediately because it could, could crunch up and go all over the floor and that Andrew would rouse at me and things like that. Uh, but take it home and eat it. But also, when you go down to the lolly part in the supermarket and you're going down the chocolate aisle and you see crunchies or you see violet crumble, anytime in the next 10 to 15 years, I want you to light your eyes on that and say, look, okay, yes, they're more precious than gold. They're more precious than fine gold. The scripture is sweeter than the honeycomb. And then... When you unwrap it, when you get home and eat the inside, don't throw away the wrappers. Please put the wrapper in your Bible. So again, that when you open up the Bible 15 years from now and you remember vaguely that some old guy got up and talked to you about reading the Bible, that wrapper will remind you to make the reading of Scripture an absolute habit in your life. Now, I want to close with prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me in a moment, but I'm going to read the prayer out in a minute and then I'm going to ask you to be part of that. But I want to warn you, I want to turn you into Anglicans just for a moment, right? So please don't let, uh, tell Andrew. He's on holidays. He's having a good time. So don't text him that this feral stuff is happening in the service. <laughs> uh, and whatever you do, don't tell Jason because I might not get invited back. Uh, but... In the Anglican prayer book, there are a group of little prayers called collects. Uh, and there's one set down for special days of the year, and there's one set down for every week, different, different prayers. And this prayer is set down for the second Sunday of Advent, the second Sunday of the Christmas season. And this is what it says. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask us to pray it together. <laughs> Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, so that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. You see the emphasis? Hear, read, Mark, and I love those words, inwardly digest them. The purpose is so that you will have the hope that Hannah was talking about, the hope of everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's well over 60 years since I started going to Sunday school, but I'm absolutely thrilled that somebody way back then told me the best book to read is the Bible. Thank you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We're a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au